Good morning. I, uh, I almost can't believe that I get to preach on this text this morning. And the only reason I'm up here is because we are led by such a humble man that he would be willing to give up this text to me and give me the honor of preaching such a good word to you today. I was having a conversation with someone this week about being black. And I said, my people are the people of God. My people have God's spirit in them. And that makes you my people. I love my people. It's so good to be with you. It's good to see your smiling faces. I welcome you all here. I welcome everyone who is in the overflow area and upstairs. I welcome everyone who's gathered at home. I'd like to begin this morning by saying that I've been an elder in this church for almost two years. And I didn't know what to expect. But I've been surprised by something. I've been surprised by how much suffering was around me and I wasn't even aware of it. In just a very short time serving as an elder, we've been asked to pray over a lot of people in this body. We've prayed over broken marriages We've prayed over broken pregnancies. We've prayed over broken bodies. We've prayed over broken minds. We've prayed over broken faith. We've prayed over broken hearts. So I hope to bring you a word of encouragement this morning. And I think that's exactly the goal of our text as well. On my way in this morning, as I exited the highway and pulled up to Leonard, there was a man standing on the corner. <clears throat> he was holding a sign. And the sign said, hard times. So I pulled over. I rolled the window down. I said, boy, do I got a sermon for you. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I did invite him in this morning. And Russ, I hope you joined us today. Because it's true. 
I have a message today about hard times. And I've titled this sermon, Worship Through the Suffering. And I'll be honest with you, I've got my work cut out for me. Because I'm going to try my very best to reclaim the meaning of worship for a lot of us, myself included. My goal is to bring our 21st century concept of worship into agreement with the biblical description of worship and to teach why worship is the path we need to walk through suffering. Are you ready? I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we do. And please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll begin by reading verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You may be seated. First Peter is a letter that's been written to encourage Christians in the midst of suffering. Right from the start, we need to understand that this is the context. Peter wrote this letter to encourage Christians who were in the throes of suffering and teach them how to cope with their circumstances according to the will of God. It was written to Christians in the Roman Empire about 30 years after Jesus was crucified. And at this particular time in history, the Roman Emperor Nero had begun torturing Christians. The Roman historian Tacitus wrote that their death was made a matter of sport. They were covered in wild beast skins and torn to pieces by dogs or were fastened to crosses and set on fire in order to serve as torches by night. Peter probably wrote this letter from Rome itself shortly after the great persecution had begun. Now, chapter 2, verse 9. We'll look at more than this one verse this morning, but this verse is the linchpin of our text. So this is where we're going to spend most of our time, because this verse will lead us, 
I believe, into an accurate understanding of what true worship is in God's sight. Now, we know this verse. Rod chose this verse for us almost two years ago as our theme verse, and it has served for us as an anthem. I'd like to speak it over you again. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So let's explore what this verse means in the context of suffering. To begin, let's ask a basic question. Who are we? We live in a world where most people don't know who they are. And this isn't a surprise. Because after all, Satan is the author of confusion and the father of lies. He leads the whole world astray, according to Revelation 12. But Satan will never be able to lead the church astray. Because the church has been given the Holy Scriptures to guide us and the Holy Spirit to counsel us. So when Peter wanted to remind the people of God who they are, he turned to Scripture. As a trustworthy pastor, Peter turned to the Word of God to hear from God. And then he told the people of God who God says they are. So that's our first lesson this morning. We are who God says we are. And God says we are a chosen people. Now, why is that important? Well, it means we didn't choose God. God chose us. But these words, the words of verse 9, these are choice words. This is covenant language. And it seems like, and I think you'll agree with me, it seems like Peter has in mind the words of God from Exodus 19. Now, we'll read from Exodus in just a minute. But first, this is what you need to understand at this juncture. In the midst of suffering, the first thing you need to remember is who God says you are. You need to be deeply rooted in your true identity. And God says over and over again in the Bible that his people 
are those who have faith in his son, Jesus Christ. So when you suffer, you need to remember who God says you are. And when you encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering, you need to remind them of who God says they are. And this is really important because God's people can count on God to keep his covenant promise. And the promise that Peter is referring to is the promise of salvation. Peter writes in verse 9 of chapter 1 that the salvation of our souls is the outcome of our faith. So that is our second lesson this morning. When we suffer, we need to remember God's promises to us. God's people are those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And in times of suffering, we need to hold on to the promises of God found in the Bible. So this is part one of Peter's encouragement. Now, in addition to being a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. To give these words their proper weight, we need to hear the word of God from Exodus 19. I'm going to begin with verse 1. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, they came to the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. If you were a Christian in the Roman Empire under the reign of Nero, and you knew the word of God, which many of these Christians did, do you know what would have happened when you heard this precious letter from Peter read over you? Picture it with me. You're gathered with other believers, and you've been hearing about the horrible things that this maniac of an emperor has been doing to the people of God. And then these words are read aloud. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. In your mind, 
you not only hear the precious words of Peter, you remember the very words of God who said in Exodus, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. The Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for 430 years. And then God carried them out as if on eagles' wings, and he brought them to himself. That gets my heart beating. Peter wants us to remember how God delivered the Israelites from the hand of their Egyptian oppressors. And in a time of suffering, he wants us to connect that with the promise of deliverance that we have in Jesus Christ. But there's a hard truth here. Because just about all of us will not experience deliverance from deep suffering in the here and now. Yesterday, one of my neighbors was carried out of his house on a stretcher. And his body was draped in the American flag. If you're grieving the death of a child or sibling or spouse or friend, that pain isn't going to go away in the here and now. If you're suffering from terminal illness or chronic illness, or if you're paralyzed, God probably isn't going to heal you in the here and now. If you have a child with special needs, God probably isn't going to restore your child in the here and now. If you've been the victim of abuse, your wounds may not be completely healed in the here and now. And on and on it goes. So what are we supposed to do with that? Is God big enough for that? Is your faith strong enough for that? Does the Bible speak to that? How do we reconcile the promise that God will deliver us 
with the reality that suffering is an inescapable part of life. Well, God is big enough for that. And his word has provided an answer for that. And I hope to encourage you in such a way that your faith will be able to hold on to it. Our answer is found right here in Peter's letter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. Amen? Yes. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So God will deliver us from our suffering. But for now, we need to trust him and we need to endure. If you're suffering right now, don't lose hope because your salvation is very real. And your inheritance is being kept in heaven for you where it can never perish, spoil, or fade. And one day, you will receive the salvation that has been promised to you. So let me tell you what would have happened if you had been in the room with those first century Christians and Peter's letter were read. I think there would have been tears streaming down your face. Because this probably wasn't what you were hoping to hear. But I believe that the Holy Spirit would have already begun giving you the courage and strength that you would need to persevere. Now there's another important question that we have to ask if we're going to understand the full meaning of what Peter is saying. The question is, how do we declare the praises of God? Or as your translation might read, how do we proclaim his excellencies? I think we could also say, how do we worship God? 
Because everything we've said so far is just the first half of the sentence in verse 9. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are God's special possession so that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. So what does it mean to declare the praises of God, and how do we do that? How do we worship God? As a quick sidebar, when we read the Bible, it's important that we learn to ask questions. Because if we don't ask questions, our assumptions are allowed to go unchecked. Now, what if I told you that the entire book of 1 Peter essentially answers how we're supposed to worship God? And none of it has to do with a single word we speak. Now hear me on this, because this is where we learn about the true nature of worship. Now listen, we're going to sing God's praises. We could never stop singing his praises. So please don't hear me say that. That's definitely not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that biblically speaking, Singing the praises of God is not the true nature of worship for us here on earth. But there is a kind of worship that God describes as being acceptable here on earth. Now, if we don't ask how we declare God's praises, we probably don't get this. We just keep on reading and making assumptions without understanding the full meaning of God's word. So what's the answer? Peter, let me tell you. Peter is a brilliant teacher. And he learned from the best there ever was. First, he draws our attention back to Exodus 19, where the basis of his argument is founded. And then he goes on to explain what this looks like for us. In Exodus 19, God promises that the Israelite people will be his treasured possession if they obey him and keep his covenant. So Peter wants to make sure that we make the connection between obedience and worship. He wants to connect the idea of obedience with the idea of declaring God's praises. Can you see how he did that? He invokes God's word from Exodus 19, which asks for obedience from God's people, and then he says that we are God's people so that we may worship God. 
God's people get to worship God. And we worship him through obedience. Human beings don't just worship God. You know what we're really good at worshiping? Ourselves. And pretty much everything else that God created. But we get to worship God because God chose us and we worship him through obedience. And this connection between obedience and declaring the praises of God in verse 9 is actually a continuation of Peter's argument, which he began laying out a few verses earlier. Let's look at verse 5 of chapter 2. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the people of God are a holy priesthood who offer spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God through Christ. What? So he's saying that God still desires his people to offer sacrifices? And that there's a kind of sacrifice that God accepts? A spiritual sacrifice is an act of worship. Declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light is an act of worship. So what kind of spiritual sacrifice is acceptable to God? What kind of praise is acceptable to God? What kind of worship is acceptable to God? That's the big question. And I think it's worth noting that I don't think any of this is completely obvious to us. At least it wasn't to me. But I do think that now we're getting to the plain meaning of the text. And I think that this is exactly what those suffering Christians in the first century would have understood. I think they would have understood that Peter is saying that there is a specific kind of sacrifice or a specific kind of praise, or a specific kind of worship that's acceptable to God. And I think they would have been eagerly anticipating whatever it was that was going to come next after verse 9 so that they could be sure to truly and properly worship God in the exact way that he 
prescribes. Are you still with me? Are you ready to find out what true worship looks like? Then let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. And this time, we're going to read from verses 10 through 21. Because like a great teacher, Peter gets really simple with things that are really important. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. To this you were called, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. There's our answer. Following in the steps of Jesus, according to the example that he left us, following in the footsteps of Jesus is what God will accept as your spiritual sacrifice. So follow in the footsteps of Jesus because that's what it means to declare the praises of God. Now, Peter had a commission as well as a spiritual gift to pastor and teach the people of God. And you better believe that gift is on full display in this letter. 
So how does he do it? How does he explain what worship looks like in our day-to-day lives? Well, the first thing he's going to do is he affirms the spring from which our worship should flow. Verse 10, once you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's naming the spring from which all our worship should flow. God's mercy on display in the suffering of Jesus Christ is the spring from which our worship flows. Because without God's mercy, we'd still be living in darkness. But in view of God's mercy, We should abstain from indulging our sinful desires, verse 11, because that's what Jesus did. And for us, that's true worship. We should conduct ourselves honorably in the world and do good deeds, verse 12, because that's what Jesus did. And for us, that's true worship. We should subject ourselves to governmental authorities, verses 13 through 15, because that's what Jesus did. And for us, that's true worship. We should love one another, verse 17, because that's what Jesus did. And for us, that's true worship. We should be willing to endure unjust suffering, Verses 18 through 20. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. And for us, that's true worship. We receive the mercy of God in Christ Jesus, and our right response is to offer thanksgiving and sincere worship, which looks like following in the footsteps of Jesus. That's worship. Now, I want you to hear how this idea aligns with Paul's teaching in Romans 12, which says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. True and proper worship, as Paul states it, and declaring the praises of God, as Peter states it, is to walk as Jesus walked, as John states it. Did you get that? 
True and proper worship, as Paul says in Romans 12, and declaring the praises of God, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2, is to walk as Jesus walked, as John says in 1 John chapter 2. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Brothers and sisters, I truly hope we can get this word into us so that we can live lives that are full of true worship. Now in closing, I'd like to circle back to the context of this letter one more time. Remember, these Christians were in the throes of suffering. A great persecution had broken out against the church of God. But if we were alive at that time in history, this is the man we would have wanted to hear from. Peter walked with Jesus himself and he was full of the Spirit of God. What will he say? What will he say to encourage us in our suffering? What good thing will the Holy Spirit give him for our sake? What should we do now? You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession. Remember how in the days of old God executed judgment on those who did evil and how he carried his chosen people out of slavery as if on eagles' wings and how he brought them to himself. Remember that because that is his promise to you. And Jesus Christ has already secured your salvation. So remain steadfast in hope because you get to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful and glorious and marvelous light. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would commit this word to us. I pray that you would commit the truth deep into our hearts. I ask that you would transform our minds by the power of your word, with the help of your spirit. I ask that you would help us to know and to understand and to think rightly about worship.
Help us to walk as Jesus walked. Help us to walk in such a way that our walk becomes a spiritual sacrifice that is acceptable to you. Help us to walk in such a way that we declare your praises. Help us by the power of your spirit. Help us by the power of your word. We pray these things in the name of your son. Amen.